Welcome to Culture Bites, where we take culture theory and turn it into everyday insights. We're powered by Human Synergistics, and our mission is to change the world one organization at a time. We can only do that together with our amazing community, so thank you for listening. Welcome to Culture Bites. Before we start today's show, I just want to let you know that we're going to be running some big conferences in Australia and New Zealand in September this year. It would be amazing if you came along. They're always fantastic events where we look at leadership and we look at culture. It's a real highlight of the year for us and for our community. And you're part of that community, so we'd love you to come along. If you're in Melbourne on September 5th or Sydney September 13th, we'll be running it there. We've also got another conference in New Zealand, which will be in Christchurch on the 18th of September, Wellington on the 19th, and Auckland on the 21st. There's links to register in the show notes for this show. So if you look in your, your podcast app, there'll be a link there. Otherwise, give us a Google or look us up on the website. And with that, let's get into today's episode. Hey, Liana. Hey, Dom. How you doing? I'm not bad. Thanks for getting back in the studio. It feels like it's been a while since we've both been in here. It has. What's been going on? Well, actually, I've just been doing a lot of technical and foundations workshops, getting some of our accredited practitioners across the tool. So um, that's across the lifestyles inventory and the, the group styles inventory? Yeah, That's right. It's always a joy to take people through the tool for the first time. Fantastic. And so what comes up in those workshops? Because I know we, we've talked about it before and we talked about it off, off air, was around lots of questions that always come up and those workshops, of course. And I thought what might be cool today is going over some of the, like, the common questions that people come out with, particularly around applying our diagnostics and, mm. and the actual coaching of it and so on. And so, yeah, so I'd be interested to explore that with you if you're down for that today. Definitely. So what are some of the, the common things that come up or what's the advice you'd give to people around doing an LSI? Debrief. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because when we have people through foundations and technical, they get to the end of the technical workshop and they're either super excited or there's a bit of anxiety. And that anxiety usually sits with, I really want to do a good job. Uh-huh. I want to make sure I'm on top of everything and I get it right. You know, I want to create a good experience for my client. And yep. so there's a, there's a degree of anxiety. Hopefully we've done our job right for most of them. <laughs> they feel relatively equipped. But then what happens when they come back for recall is that um, there's some real consistency, I think, in some of the, the questions that they have or the things that they seem to stumble over. Right. So, so, so this is after they've gone away and done a couple of debriefs. Yeah. <laughs> I always laugh about that when I talk to people about how we structure our training. When we have that recall session, I say, oh, you know, we have that session because at the end of the workshops, we'll ask, you know, any questions? No, I'm good to go. Mm-hmm. I know it all. But then when you do it in the real world a few times, suddenly a question you never thought of will pop up. Totally. So what are some of those? So some of the questions that come to mind. So one of the things that come up frequently in recall is how do I get people to move towards action? Mm. It's almost as if it's my responsibility Mm. as a coach to ensure that individuals reach some kind of outcome, which makes sense, right? I mean, particularly if you're a consultant and you're being paid a daily rate or whatever it is, you want to feel like you've actually delivered something to your client. Yeah, absolutely, right? I mean, that's why we're in, in this game is to help people develop. So, yeah. You know, you want to get there. And there's so much in that, right, in that statement. And there are things that you can do to influence change. And there's certain things that also you, you can't influence. And so first mm. of all, being aware of that. From the get-go, I from a frame-up, I really 
what I'd love our accredited practitioners to think through when they're working with their clients is how you position a tool like this in a business. So what do I mean by that? I mean, it's a personal and professional development opportunity, something that people should be excited about and come to with a sense of interest in growth, if you like. And gotcha. so framing it up before you even go into a debrief is really important so that, for example, you don't want it to come into the business as if it's something like it's a performance appraisal. Right. And you want to be framing it up in a way where people can take a degree of ownership and responsibility for the process. And so we often talk about that because people do ask us that around, you know, uh, using it as a performance appraisal and whatnot. And, and our common response is, one, it's not designed for that. So it's not going to give you actually the information you're looking for anyway. Because it's like, you know, if I fill it out in my mind, it's about development. I'm going to fill it out one way compared to if I think it's a job interview, right? If I think the boss is going to see it, I'm going to give you a pretty different answer. Yeah, so true. Um, and in the debrief, I'm not going to let my guard down, right? I'm going to go into defensive mode because I'm trying to look good. Yeah. And so you're not going to get much much out of it if you're going in with that mindset. Yeah, that, totally. That it's around uh, appraising and whatnot. And 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 part of that is also you know the confidentiality piece and getting people to start thinking before they've even come in the room. Okay, what do I want to get out of this myself? Because mm. that's also about you know getting them to think about taking some responsibility before. And that's why it's really important as well. You know, I, I get a lot of these phone calls about you know people trying to do things, and there'll be ones where it feels like it's been done to someone, mm. you know, or we want to fix so-and-so or whatever. And, you know, sometimes that's a great opportunity anyway because the person's up for it too, right? But it's got to be set up in that right way because otherwise it's an attack. And yes. what do people do when they feel under attack? They defend themselves. Defend themselves. <laughs> so, you know, you're not going to get anywhere with that yep. attitude. And so it's really important, like you say, is this framing up. Yeah. So It's something I've learned as a consultant. In the early days, you know, you say yes to work because you really want to want to do some great stuff with clients, but having that conversation up front to really get clear on what the client's wanting to get mm. out of it. I have walked into sessions thinking it was about personal development, growth, leadership, and have realized very quickly that I'm somehow in, in the chair of responsibility for performance managing individuals uh, through yep. the LSI. And that is a, a tricky place. It requires a lot of energy to shift that individual from feeling, like you said, really defended and guarded into a place where they can reflect. So it's a, it's a tricky corner to get yourself into. Yeah. So I guess the takeaway from this is when you're approaching work, either if you're an internal practitioner or a, or, or a consultant, is making sure it's getting set up in the right way. Yeah. So get clear on the outcomes. What are the intentions? Yeah. Right. What intentions. are the intentions of whoever's setting it up? And then if they're not right, if you find yourself in that situation where you've been brought into effectively performance management, performance management, manage, whatever it is, someone, what would you do in that situation if you kind of found yourself suddenly in there? Well, I go back to, you know, the core principle of the tool itself, that it's confidential, that this mm. is about them, that I'm here as their coach or, or their, their confidant in that scenario. And basically, spend a lot of time lowering their anxiety around what I'm there to do. So really position the tool around this is about maximizing opportunities for you to be your best self and really just hone in on what's going to be valuable to you in the next hour and a half to two hours and how would, what role would you like me to play? Right. So it's going from you know the leader or whoever might have their ambition, which is great. We've got to keep that in mind too, right? Yeah. That, 
that there's a purpose to try and get here. But ultimately, the individual has to connect to it yeah. as well, right? Yeah. And so it's asking, what are you trying to achieve? What are you trying to get out of this? Yeah, definitely. So does that also speak to around you know, responsibility for it, for doing the coaching? So one I've heard come up a lot is, and I think you mentioned at the start, was around coaches feel very responsible for getting people a great result mm. and, and we're going to land on this incredible breakthrough or whatever it is. And so a lot of coaches ask, you know, how do I do that? How do I do that? Especially with someone who doesn't seem to be in line where they're trying to get them. Yeah, it's one of the things I notice about when people aren't getting traction, it may either be because, you know, the individual is is struggling with the feedback. Well, that's probably multiple reasons. But one of the things I think is fundamental in getting people to move towards action is getting them to own own their data, but also understand their why, what's important to them. Mm-hmm. Because like you said, feedback is really vital in our business to understand how do we show up, how do we impact others, and we need to be aware of that. But ultimately for change to happen, there's an element for individuals, and that is the what's in it for me factor. Mm. And I think you can't really remove that. You have to establish Absolutely. what is in it for me because what we're essentially asking or expecting is that individuals are going to put effort into doing something different. And we know that the brain, people don't love doing that unless there's a value attached to it. So really getting clear, what is a value to you? Is it more satisfaction? Is it results? Is it time with the family? Is it less stress? What is it that you really want to improve in the next six or 12 months? Anchor the goal really clearly. And that can be interesting. So in the Lifestyles Inventory, in the in the back of it, we ask certain outcome questions, right? So some of them are around work, how effective are you, quality of relationships, but also at home. So how do you enjoy your home life and stuff? Mm-hmm. And I've seen with a lot of people, it can be that at home question actually that strikes a chord with them and hits their what because, you know, they say, feel like I need to do all this stuff at work and I'm burning out at home or, or my relationship with my kids or whatever it is. And so that can be the catalyst sometimes. Mm-hmm. To get to their why. Why yep. does this stuff matter? Why get do we have to change our behavior, our thinking? Because that's something they really care about Yeah, more than other things, perhaps. Yeah. And it's, you know, I think as an early practitioner, you can get caught up on going through the process and perhaps getting into the language of the circumplex and blue and green and red. People aren't really attached to the color on a page. Mm. They're attached to shifting some satisfaction items in their life. Right. Exactly. Because that's what really matters. That's what matters. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it turns out that satisfaction and constructive correlate, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so it works out quite well. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And so how do you do that? How do you know where someone's going, what matters to them? How do you kind of figure that out? Mm, that's a very good question. How? So one of the techniques that we use, and sometimes it's not clear to the participants going through our accreditation, is that we're constantly using a process of inquiry and discovery. Mm-hmm. And that inquiry and discovery is sort of the antithesis of telling. I tell you, this is what's showing up for you. Uh, This is how people are receiving you. This is what it means to you. An individual's attachment to being told is quite low. Inquiry and discovery is about creating some momentum, questioning, opportunity for individuals to sit back, reflect, and come to some conclusions of their own. And so inquiry and discovery is about really asking open-ended questions, being non-judgmental and curious in your questioning, to encourage individuals to, yeah, to reflect and create learning for themselves. And I think that's an interesting one because especially with, you know, we accredit a diagnostic and I love the tool, of course, 
But sometimes, especially with new practitioners, they feel like they've got to convey all that knowledge. Yeah. Right. I've just learned this, so I'm gonna I'm gonna use it all, you know, and they're excited to use it all. And that's great. But what you're really saying is it's about asking the person really rather than telling them, okay, this is this style and this is what it means for you and mm. and what you should do about it. Mm. It's getting the person to realize that for themselves. Yep. Yeah. And that's through a questioning method. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I would, re- in my early days, I might've jumped in and said, look, this is what it could be. This is, you know, but really if I'm noticing people are struggling to connect with either what it looks like or how it shows up in their LSI one, their thinking, it's just constant asking questions or you might get them to go away, reflect, come back, read the materials. Really, you want them to start to explore and get into the habit of self-reflection and self-monitoring. And so that goes back to that responsibility. So who's ultimately responsible for someone's development? Yeah. And, you know, as coaches, we often put the pressure on ourselves. Mm. And, you know, of course, you've got to do a good job. Yeah. You know, you got to come, you got to ask those questions, you got to help lead the person down the path, but it's ultimately they've got to walk through that door. And you know what? There is a time for, there is also a time for calling it and for making observations, I would say, something I didn't do in my early days. It takes, you have to pick your moment with individuals. So build up enough rapport and trust Mm. that you can sometimes use what you see in the session and make some observations. So challenging. Yeah. Yeah. There's a time for it, definitely. Yeah. Particularly uh, with certain styles, you Mm. know, around the thing we always say is, people will play out their style. They do. Right? So if someone has avoidance, then guess what? They're going to avoid. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just what it is. If someone's competitive, they're going to compete and so on. So sometimes, particularly with something like avoidance, for instance, yeah, they might skirt the issue. And yeah. so you got to kind of hold them there sometimes. And sometimes it's unconscious too. Like I had a client mm. the other day who the phrase that he kept using was, it's just who I am. There's nothing I can do about it. It's just yeah. who I am. Oh, and interesting. Yep. After sort of the fifth or sixth time of hearing the statement, I, I just said, look, I just want to make an observation about something that you've mentioned frequently, mm. this comment around it's who I am, which implies, and there was a lot of avoidance um, mm. in this individual's profile, implies that this individual doesn't have any control over how right. they show up or don't have choice. Right. And so really I made that observation and just left it with him to reflect on what is the message you're sending yourself if this is, this is your dialogue. Mm. It ended in a question and a reflection, but it was an observation. Yeah, and that's a really interesting one with with what we do in general. And so something that I love about the Lifestyles Inventory is that it's different from personality, Mm. right? So we often talk about personality types. I'm an introvert, I'm an extrovert, I'm detailed, I'm high, big picture thinker, whatever. And to some extent that's fixed or to a large extent that stuff's fixed. You can can be an introvert who does extrovert well, Mm. but it might be draining or whatever. But the difference with the circumplex and the thing I love about it is that you can change, right? Mm. We know you can change your thinking, you can change your behavior. And therefore, it doesn't give people this crutch of saying, that's just who I am. Yeah. That's the way I am. It's saying, well, what do you want to be? Because you can change it, right? So yeah. there's something you can do about it. So I think sometimes with personality stuff, people use it as an excuse to basically stay the way they are. Definitely. And in business, there are a lot of uses, a lot of uses of personality metrics, whether it be MBTI or others, DISC, a bunch of things that puts people in into particular groups, which is really helpful to understand a bit about your preference. Mm. Where it can become a challenge is if people lock themselves. Um, exactly. sort of, I am this way because of this, which can create a bit of rigidity. 
Exactly. And there's actually no correlation to effectiveness mm. anyway with a lot of that stuff. I, in the old company I worked for, they did a lot of personality assessments and whatnot when you joined. And there was a management profile, certain management profiles. And people who weren't that profile felt like they were doomed to never have an opportunity to move to management, basically. Yeah, right. And there was some truth and some not truth to that, right? I think some of these people probably weren't qualified to be managers, but thought they should be. So they're perhaps using that as an excuse, but still it kind of begs that question of how much can people change mm. and how much are people fixed? And, mm. you know, there's a certain part of you, which, you know, your preferences probably are fixed to a large extent. Yeah. But the space we play in around thinking and behavior, you can change your values and beliefs that drive that stuff, then absolutely. And I find, I find actually it's usually about, you know, do you want to? You know, yeah. What's your appetite? And so that goes all the way back to what's what we talked about. What's in it for you, right? Yeah. And so people have to want to change and they ultimately have to take responsibility for their own journey. It's yep. the only way. You can't change someone else. You can only change yourself. And so I think... Another thing that we kind of talked about is you can't tell people. Mm. And so really you're trying to guide them to trip over the truth. Mm. So it's that realization of, oh, you know, this is how I'm getting in my own way, perhaps. Whatever the goal is that's important to me, be that in my career, in my relationships, whatever it may be. Yeah. You know, I'm really tripping myself up here. You know, it's that people call it a light bulb moment or whatever. And you kind of need one of those mm. in a way to get that sense of purpose. Yeah. I mean, you can tell, but it's... um. I'm just never certain if I do tell whether people are really attached to doing anything about it. Mm. So it depends what outcome you're looking for. Mm. One of the other questions I see come up is around, you know, how many coaching sessions does someone need? Ah, yes. So what would your advice be on that? Yeah, so from a, if you think about the awareness acceptance action model that we go through in Foundations and Technical, it's something that I revisit constantly throughout Mm. an individual's journey, even from the get-go when I'm engaging with a client, typically people need two or three touch points to absorb the data, the feedback, emotionally process and come to some conclusions about how they want to take it forward. Mm. And so I tend to use that AAA model, not only to track where the client's at and how I can help them shift through, but also you really need two or three touch points because at the first data set, particularly if it's their first time ever receiving this type of feedback, the expectation at the end of that one and a half, two hours is that you're going to raise some awareness. Mm. You're probably going to be mixed with a bit of emotion as we will respond differently to feedback. And that's probably not the point at which you're going to move towards action. So you really need a bit of space mm. between awareness and getting some acceptance. So being mindful that that is probably all you're going to get to in one session. And I think what's interesting in my own experience, I remember when I first got my LSI feedback, you know, you get told this stuff and you're like, oh, yeah, maybe. And then you go away and, you know, if you've got a few weeks in between before the next coaching session, you start noticing it. Yeah. You start noticing <laughs> it and you're like, oh, I can't unsee it now, <laughs> you know, because you're aware. Now you're aware and now you catch yourself and you're like, oh, I just totally did that competitive thing or whatever it was. Yeah. Or I had that thought, you know. And so the great thing about that is then you come back to the next session, you've got some live examples because you're like, well, last week, I caught myself doing this, yeah. you know, and I saw it plain, yeah. plain as day. And if you're new to doing this this work, you'll probably feel at the end of the first session that if you're going there expecting someone to move through those stages, you're going to be disappointed mm. because at the end of that, there you'll feel a bit you'll feel a bit deflated because you notice a big difference between the first session and the second session for that exact mm. reason that you just described because you start to the awareness raising is 
quite powerful on They've its own. absorbed it. Yeah, they absorb it, they come back, and then they start going, okay, I can, I've started to see some of the costs and benefits around these behavioral styles, and I'm noticing some of my patterns of behavior. And there's a different appetite to shift if they've moved. And that's a, an acceptance point. So that's a point where you can actually go, okay, what do you want to do about this? Yeah, absolutely. And then, so then you'd have a bit more time. And so it's moving really through those stages. So that yeah. may be over three sessions. It may be more. Maybe six sessions. Could be six yeah. sessions, but around awareness, acceptance, and then and actions. Action. Yeah. And so why not, why the gap to actions, I guess? Why the gap? So I've been under, you know, I've, I've sometimes crunched my time wanting to meet client financial um, constraints. constraints. Yeah. And I've learned the hard way. Now I feel very confident that you really need more time with individuals to process feedback. So the question was why? Why couldn't you move to Yeah, why can't you kind of do it all in Um, one session? So I've I've tried. (laughs) I've tried. And what I've noticed is whilst individuals are emotionally processing feedback, you think about activation of different parts of the brain, they can quickly go into a bit of a reactive state. Mm. Maybe they're a bit of heightened emotion. Mm. And it's not the best state to be in to make some it's the rational stuff, yeah. Yeah. And so really people just need a bit of space to A, come to some conclusions themselves. And that sets you up for, I guess, greater commitment to the action. Yeah. If right. I start to force an action before someone has really landed on acceptance and has come to me with, this is what I think will shift me closer to, mm. you know, where I want to be. Where I want to be, then there's probably going to be some loose attachment to that. So, from a client perspective, if you're working with a client and they're saying, can't we just crunch it down? You want to start having a conversation around what are we trying to achieve here? Yeah. You know, is it change or is it delivering some data? Yeah. And there's and different. That's it. Depends what your outcomes are. That's it. And it's doing it right rather than doing it fast. Yeah. And so, you. If you try and compress it too much, then you're not going to get anything out of it. It's not worth doing it all. Yeah. So it's worth doing it right. Final question I had for you was around for a practitioner themselves, Mm. you know, because there's two people in a conversation, right? So when you're dealing with the other person, how do you like check your yourself and your own styles and, you know, make sure that's not kind of creeping in? How do you stay constructive? One of the, one of the reasons we put people through such a, rigorous process in foundations is because every time you do a debrief, you will learn something about yourself mm-hmm. because we tend to show up. So something I learned very early on is that my propensity for task meant that I always wanted to get an outcome, right? which meant I would try and force that awareness acceptance action, which didn't work very well for me as it turns out. So my task propensity would drive speed and pace, right? Um, which meant that I was moving my attention away from tracking the energy and the emotion of the client and where they were at. And so mm. my needs started to creep in. Mm. So one of the things I, I really became conscious of is what does good look like for the client? What is the outcome that they need? And then how do I need to be in order to create that space? So it can help to set yourself a bit of an intention around how you want to show up in the room. But really it's about being critically aware of when your needs start to creep into the session versus the needs of your client. Interesting. And so I guess it's keeping in mind what's the ultimate objective here. Yeah. And ultimately that's about helping a person develop. So how do we do that best? Yeah. And if you use that awareness acceptance action as a framework, so observing your client in where they are at 
Mm. and then therefore targeting your questions or your observations to help them shift versus you wanting to move through to action quicker. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Fantastic. So, Liana, I think that's all the time we have for today. Those were fantastic tips, though. Are you able to run back over them? What are the some of the key takeaways you want people to leave this conversation with? Yeah, for sure. So the top tips to remember are get your client to anchor themselves in their goal. Remember that you don't need to be the expert, that mm. they are the expert on them. The inquiry and discovery models, open-ended questions, track your client's energy and monitor that awareness, acceptance, action. And finally, be aware of how your styles show up in the debrief. Fantastic. Thanks for that. I think those are great tips. And I think practitioners new and and experienced will find something in there for them. Just before we go, thought I'd mention we've got conferences coming up in Melbourne and Sydney this September, as well as in New Zealand. So they're fantastic events looking at culture and leadership. We've got an awesome lineup of speakers. Make sure you check those out. It's in the show notes of this podcast, a link to register as well as at the bottom of the blog. So whichever page you're on, check it out. We hope to see you there. Thanks for your time today, Liana. Thanks, Tom. Hi, me again. Just before you go, don't forget to sign up for our Leadership and Culture Conferences this September. We'll be in Melbourne, September 5th, Sydney, September 13th. And we also have events in New Zealand. So if you're in Christchurch on the 18th of September, Wellington on the 19th or Auckland on the 21st, make sure you sign up. There's a link below. It'd be awesome to see you there.